What's up, church? Glad to be here with you this morning. Um, I think we can all agree that when it comes to decision-making, we all have questions, right? We all have uh, questions that we want answered, and really, we spend our life looking for the answers to these questions. How many of you guys grew up with, uh, with a magic eight ball? Anybody? All right, that's more than I thought. I didn't grow up with a magic eight ball. I knew that they existed because I grew up in the era of Toy Story, and they had one on Toy Story. But uh, I don't think any of my friends had one of these either. But anyway, my kids have a magic eight ball, and it's kind of funny watching them inter- interact with it and talking to it. Um, they, uh, you know, just, they, they just actually just a couple days ago, they're huddled around this magic eight ball sitting on the floor, and I hear my oldest son, he asks them a very, very, very important question to him. Like, I'm thinking all the questions that you could possibly ask this magic thing. You know, this is what you ask. He says, are dinosaurs coming back? And he shakes it up, you know, and waits for the answer, and he reads it. He says, very doubtful. And then he runs out. He's like, Dad, what's doubtful mean? And I'm like, man, it means it's not happening, bro. I'm sorry. Um, you know, I'm just like, sorry about that. But, uh, but hey, kids, like, the reason why the Magic 8-Ball even exists is that kids, like, want to know what's going to happen. And, and part of that, what I think that is, is like in a reflection of our desire of wanting to know what God's going to do in our life. It's the reflection of our desire of wanting to know, in a sense, God's will in our life. Like, there's something just inside of us that wants to know that, that has those questions. And it's not just when we were a kid. We, this is something that I don't think we ever outgrow. As adults, we still have questions. I mean, think about it. Uh, should I pick this school? You know, we're trying to figure out what does God want. Right? Should, what, what major should I pick? Should I pick this major or that major? Should I join this organization? Should I take this promotion? Should I take this job or should I take this job? Should I quit my job? Should I divorce my spouse? Should I leave my, my spouse? Should I move? Should I buy this house? Should I buy this car? All right, even questions like, like, should I date this person? I mean, even you think about something so simple like that, like, you know, someone comes up. If you, you know, some of you guys is like thinking, thinking back in the day where it's, someone comes up and asks you on a date, that just doesn't seem like that big of a decision. And, uh, but, but it turns into a major decision to where, hey, who am I going to marry in my life? Which turns out to be one of the biggest decisions you ever got to make in your entire life. Do we have, just real quick, can I ask, not trying to put anybody on the spot, but do we have anybody in here that's like dating? No one wants to. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> They're like, oh, No. All right, let's not, again, not trying to put you on the spot, but let's just, let's just ask the magic eight ball, okay? Um, let's just say, should this couple right here in the middle row, um, middle section, should they get married? He says, you may rely on it, okay? I just put a lot of pressure on this relationship right here, all right? Sorry about that. But uh, the magic eight ball says, so it's not me, it's, it's the magic eight ball, but uh but it's, it's, those are big decisions, right? Those are big questions that we have that turn into big decisions in our life. Now, we all know that this is ridiculous, right? Okay, we all get it. And, and I'm glad I'm not driving home with you in the car because that's going to be a super <laughs> awkward conversation. <laughs> but uh, but the, it's, it's ridiculous. We know that this is not real. Um, but don't we kind of do this in our life? Don't we, even if we don't run to the magic eight ball sitting on the shelf or whatever, don't we try to, like, look for signs in our life when it comes to making decisions? Like, have you ever made a deal with God? You know what I'm talking about? Where it's like, uh, hey, God, um, I I got this big decision I got to make, and I got to choose this way or that way, and I just don't know which way you want me to go. And so, let's do this, God. Um, If I make the next three, four, let's say four green lights in a row, and, and if that happens, I'll know. 
You want me to do this. And so we do that. We're driving. We're like, okay, all right. Pass the first one. All right. Second one's green. Third one's green. Fourth one. Oh, man, it's turning yellow. You gun it, you know. And it's like you get past. You're like, hey, that's close enough. All right. God wants me to do this. I knew it. I knew that's what I should do. You know, we think like that. Like we look for signs and we try to make these little, you know, kind of petty deals um, with God sometimes of we just want to know what he wants for our life. We want to know what does God have for us and what does God want for me. Again, I think that's a reflection of our desire of wanting to know God's will for our life. Now, this desire shows up the most in our life is when we're faced with big decisions. So uh, some of those decisions might deal with health. Um, Maybe it's a financial or relational or personal or academic or professional decision that we got going on. I mean, these are big deal decisions. And a lot of times they are so difficult. And if you're like me, you worry about it. Right, And you agonize about it, and you're thinking through every little detail, every little way. And you kind of, and, and a lot of times we, we, just like, we just hold off. We don't know what to do. It's almost like a lot of times I feel like we put our life on hold where it's just we can't do anything else until we figure this thing out in our life, and you just don't know what to do. I mean, have you ever been faced with a decision in your life where you're just like, okay, God, I'm listening. Just tell me what to do. You just... Say the word, and I'll go that way. I don't, you know, even if that's not my desire, I'll, I'll do whatever you want. And you're just like, just tell me, okay? If you just tell me, we're good. But it just doesn't feel like God's given you a clear answer. That ever happened to anybody out there? All right, it happens all the time. Even just, I mean, when we were first introducing this series a couple weeks ago, I was telling you guys how I got like three major decisions in my life, like three major things that are like, I don't know, they're like hovering over me that I got to figure out and I don't know which way to go and I don't know what to do. And there's so many moving parts that it's so hard to kind of wrap your mind around. And it's just like, you know, uh, it would be so easier if God would just come to me or maybe right in the clouds in the sky or something like that where it's just like, hey, start this building in November and build this and hire that guy and buy this house. Like if he would just do that for me, I would be so appreciative and it would be so, you know, just make my life so much easier. But he doesn't do that. At least not for me. And it's stressful. And again, like I said a couple weeks ago, you could tell me after the service, you could say, hey, Zach, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. All right, God's got this. And, I'm, you know, I, I know that and I 100% believe that just like you. But I still have to make the decision. Right? It doesn't take that away. And so through this series, what we are doing is um, we are... Um, Asking, we're talking about asking three questions uh, that uh, when we're making big decisions. Okay, so three questions that we're going to be looking at that we should be asking whenever we're making big decisions. And really, what we should be viewing this as is like a grid in our life. So if we have a major decision that comes upon us, or maybe we know it's coming, I guess it doesn't really matter. And it's like, okay, I got to do this. I got to figure this thing out. What we should be doing is running it through this grid that we're going to be looking at through um, this series and try to figure out what God specifically wants. And by the way, if you run your decision-making through the grid, you're going to make better decisions. Okay, you just, you just will. Um, last week, AJ, he uh, introduced really the first question or the first part, the first filter of this grid. And as Christians, really the first thing that we should do before we make any decision in our life Um, The first thing that we do before we uh, look at what we want or what our kids want or what our boss wants or what our gut's telling us or what our heart is telling us to do, what our heart wants, or maybe before the 
we realize what makes more logical sense or what makes more financial sense. Before any of that, what we should be asking is simply, what does God say about it? Right, that's the first thing. Right, that's right at the top. That is the first thing we, that, that is in the grid. It's the first thing we run our decision through. What is God's moral will? It's the first question. And for some of us, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm just using this as an example because this is a, uh, an example that I think applies to a good amount of people. But for some of us, I mean, we might be in our marriage, and it's just like, you know, our marriage doesn't seem like it's going well. In our relationship, like, it's just not what it used to be. And maybe our husband, we're like, our husband has just changed, and I don't get what's going on. And it's almost like we feel tricked. Like, before we got married, everything was good, and he was so nice. But now, after we got married, they have changed. Or maybe it's your wife, and you're like, she's changed, and she's not the same person that she used to be. And you've just kind of grown apart, and it's just kind of happened over time. And if you're honest with yourself, you're just like, man, both of us are just we're, we're roommates. We're just li we're living together. We're just both miserable with each other. And so the question you're trying to figure out is, should I leave? Should I get that divorce? Should I move on from this? Should I start over? And really, the first thing that we do is that's a major decision. I think we can all agree on that. All right, that shouldn't be a decision that we just take lightly. But the first thing that we should do as a Christian is we should ask, what does God say about it? And ironically, on that subject, God has a lot to say about it. In fact, Jesus had a lot to say about divorce. And again, I'm just using that as an example that as Christians, all right, that should matter to us. Like it should matter if God, if we're dealing with a situation that God specifically has already told us what to do. Right? He has specifically already told us his will in. And part of that is I don't know, there's just like, like for me personally, I've just realized there's something freeing about that. Where it's just like, hey, you know, I don't have to wonder what God's will is on this specific matter or maybe on a matter like divorce because it's like God's already told us. I already know what that is. He's already told us, hey, when it's okay and when you shouldn't. And so many times I feel like figuring out what God says about certain situations in our life, that just makes the decision for us. I mean, if it gets stopped in that first part of the grid, if we get stopped past that first question and we know what God wants for us, then that's it. That should, as Christians, that should make our decision. God's made that decision for us. But the question comes is, what if we're going through a decision that is based around something that God doesn't address at all? Which happens all the time, right? I mean, that's maybe the bulk of our decisions. Uh, see, many decisions aren't addressed by God. Many decisions we don't see in the Bible. Maybe there's not even a principle in the Bible that we feel like even applies to this decision. And we're looking at, hey, you're like at the, at the Y in the road, and you're just like, okay, should I go right or should I go left? And you're realizing that both right and left are both okay answers. Like, this, it's okay to go both ways. There's not one that's wrong and one that's right. It's you're just trying to figure out which one should I do. Like, should I take this job or should I take that job? And something I feel like, I don't know, I feel like we don't hear much at church or we don't hear much within the Christian circle is I think, and I think there's so much evidence in the Bible of this, I think we have the freedom to choose. But we don't like that, right? We would much rather be told by God what to do. You know, where it's just like, God, just tell me what steps to take and I'll just do that. That'll be so much. But sometimes I think God gives us the freedom to choose. Sometimes we're so, you know, we're so messed up. We're, so, we're freaking out about all these little things and all these little details where God's, you know, 
God, what do you want? Where do you want me to go here? Do you want me to go there? Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do that? It's just all this stuff where God's just like, hey, relax. All right? You choose. You can choose. And part of kind of what we talked about a couple weeks ago, we are not going to mess up God's sovereign will. We don't have the ability to mess it up. Okay, what God wants is going to happen. We're not going to mess up his plan. And a lot of times, God gives us the freedom to kind of figure some of those little parts out. Uh, Think of it this way. Sometimes my boys will come up to me and they'll say, hey, Dad, can we go outside? And of course, I'm like, yeah, go ahead and go outside. But I give them some boundaries, right? So I say, yeah, you guys can go ahead and go outside, but don't cross the sidewalk because I don't want them getting close to the road. And they say, okay, and they go run outside and uh, do whatever, whatever they do. But you know what I, I don't necessarily want, okay? Like, I'd appreciate this and the fact that they respect me and stuff, but it's like, but this is not what I'm looking for. I don't want them coming up to me saying, hey, Dad, okay, can we go outside? I'm like, yeah, go ahead and go outside. Don't cross the sidewalk. Everything's good. Okay, Dad, um, what do you want us to do for the first five minutes? I don't want the, I, I, don't, I don't care. You know what I mean? Um, Dad, should we, pl- should we play in the sandbox or should we jump on the trampoline? I don't care. Right, should we go play over here? Should we go play over there? Should we go play in the front yard or the backyard? Right, should we play with this toy or should we play with that toy? I don't care. I want them. Like there's part of me as a dad who enjoys watching them choose. Like I want them to have the freedom to be able to choose within the boundaries that I'm giving them. I want them to have the freedom to choose what they want to do or what they think seems best. See, I think many times God gives us that freedom to choose as well. He does not want us to worry or agonize about all the little details of everything that's going on. In fact, Jesus makes it super plain. He says, hey, you should never worry. That should not be, we should not be anxious. We should not worry. That should not be a part of our life. Um, That's not good for us. See, sometimes he just wants us to choose with the freedom that he's given us. Now, uh, one thing that we need to pay attention to uh, when it comes to our decision-making is, um, sure, God gives us freedom on many things, okay? He gives us boundaries, and that's where the first question is, what does God say about this? Those are the boundaries that God has given us, and then within those boundaries, God's given us this freedom, but there are some things that we still need to check on, and the, the, really what we need to do is I want us to pay attention to any tension that we might feel. Have you guys ever felt tension when making a decision? Isn't that like the most annoying thing ever? Like that's what, that's the whole problem right there is that we feel tension. Um, Like a lot of times when we're faced with a big decision, there's just tension there. Like it's one of those things that we can't like put a finger on and it's there. It's something, I don't know, you're just like, I don't know, man, something just doesn't feel right. I feel uneasy about this. Uh, sometimes we call it our conscience. Uh, sometimes we just feel uncomfortable. And, it, and we hate that feeling. It's there a, a lot of times. And we just hate it because you know what it does? It causes us to question our decision. It causes us to second guess what we're leaning on. And by the way, I think that is very, very good for us, right? Like if you think about it, we hate it But that is actually really, really good for us. Now, what I'm not saying is that you need to follow your gut feeling every time. not saying that at all. All right? I'm not saying follow your heart. We know that our hearts are super messed up and sway us in the wrong way. Um, I'm not saying, hey, if you feel tension about a decision that you're making, that decision or that way that you're leaning is completely wrong. That's not what I'm saying at all. 
I'm not saying allow the tension to dictate the decision that you make. I'm saying allow the tension to bother you. When you're making a big decision and if there's any, I don't know, hesitation or tension in your, in your life or about this decision, I think it's a very, very good idea to pay attention to that and to pause. In fact, I think we should allow that tension to bother us. That helps us make better decisions in our life. And we actually see this take place in the life of David uh, once. Uh, in the Old Testament, we are introduced to David as a young shepherd boy. All right? He's just a kid. And one day, this old prophet named Samuel just kind of shows up at David's house and says, Hey, David, guess what? You are going to be the next king of Israel. God has picked you to replace the king. And, uh, and he anoints David as, as king. And then, so, then uh, the prophet Samuel, he leaves. There's a problem that's going on here. As, as right when Samuel does this, is that Israel already has a king. Right? He's got this, this king named Saul. And Saul wasn't doing a very good job in God's eyes. So God decides to replace Saul with this kid named David. And, uh, but he decides, he decides to do that, but just not quite yet. And so some time goes by, and eventually, um, David, he has his legendary battle with, with Goliath. We've all, we've all heard about that. And when David kills Goliath, this man who is supposedly unbeatable, who is undefeated, David becomes an instant celebrity. And when David kills Goliath, David's only like a, a teenage kid, all right? And so it's this huge thing, this huge upset that we all love to hear about. And uh, David becomes an instant celebrity. And so everybody knows of this kid named David who killed the champion Goliath. And because of this, David becomes even more popular than King Saul, who's just not a very great guy. In fact, the people of Israel, the, the, the women of Israel, okay, even more, they start making up songs saying, hey, King Saul is so awesome, he's killed his thousands. But David, the teenager David, he's killed his tens of thousands. And, and everybody views David as this huge warrior. And of course, because of that, as we would all expect, Saul becomes super jealous of David. In fact, Saul tries to kill David on several, on several occasions. And so because of that, David, eventually he has to leave his home. He's got to leave his family, and uh, he has to leave the country as Saul tries to hunt him down. Uh, but there are a few hundred guys, around 600 men, that actually leave Saul and kind of join up with David and follow him, knowing that David will be the future king. And so at this point in time that we're going to be looking at today, David and his small army of 600, you know, merry men, they're walking around, wandering around the desert, trying to avoid Saul as his huge army is coming and uh, hunting them down. And we see in 1 Samuel chapter 24, it says, uh, when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, that's just a neighboring country um, that they were always at war with, it says he was told that David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And so Saul took 3,000 of Israel's fit young men and went to look for David and his men. All right, so Saul goes, and uh, he's searching for David. And if you know this story, know anything about this story, you know that it's about to take kind of an interesting turn, and it gets a little weird here for a second. Uh, David hears, finds out that Saul is pursuing him, that Saul's coming, and so David tells his men to hide, just, just kind of scatter, hey, Find a place here in the, in the desert, in the wilderness. Find a place to hide. Wait till Saul and his army goes by, and then we'll reconvene and we'll run the other way. 
is his plan. And so David picks out a cave with a few of his men, and he hides. In the meantime, Saul happens to be passing by this very cave that David happens to be hiding in, and uh, nature calls. You know what I'm talking about? So I was like, okay, I need to find a place private. He's got to use the bathroom. And so Saul is looking around. He halts his whole army. He's like, hey, I'm going to need a good, like, you know, five, ten minutes here. He probably grabs his magazines. And he goes looking for the perfect cave for him to have a little privacy but also be close by his army. And Saul happens to, by chance, pick the very cave that David and his men are hiding in. Interesting, he's doing that for some privacy, and there's a whole bunch of men that are just watching him the whole time. So that didn't really work out for him. But picture this, right? Not too much, but picture part of this, I guess. David and his men, like, imagine how it would have been to be there within reason. Um, David and his men, they're hiding as far back in the cave as they can go. Like, they're, they're way back there. There's caves everywhere in this region, and they're in the dark, and they're watching the entrance of the cave, knowing that Saul and his army are close by. And then sure enough, in the entrance of the cave that they're all looking at, suddenly Saul, the enemy, the man who's, who's hunting them, the man who wants to kill them and their families, all right, he just appears, and for Saul, it's super bright outside, right? It's um, in, in Israel, the sun is beating down on him. And so he goes in there. He can't, his eyes aren't adjusting. He can't see all that well. And so he goes in just enough to where he can still have some light, but he can also appreciate his privacy. And uh, he takes off his robe. He sets that aside. And then he turns towards the entrance of the cave and squats down. Okay? That's what, that's what Saul does. And uh, think about this. What are the odds, right? Uh, a place that has hundreds and hundreds of caves, what are the odds that out of all the caves, Saul picks that one? And he's got his back, tor- tor- or he's got his back turned towards David and his men, and he's, I mean, let's be honest with ourselves, he's in like the most vulnerable position ever, like not the circumstance, you know, it's a vulnerable circumstance, you know what I'm talking about? You don't want anybody messing with you when that's going on. And, uh, and, and he's there. And, I mean, this is a God thing, right? Like, it has to be. There's, there's no possible way that this could just happen on its own. And everybody in that cave, except for Saul, recognizes this. They're all just like, you've got to be kidding. Like, God is so crazy. I can't believe he allowed this to happen. They start whispering to each other. And uh, the next verse, it says, so they said to him, these are David's men. They're like, hey, David. Only quieter, probably. David. He said, look. This is the day that the Lord told you about when the God specifically told you. Remember, David, God specifically told you. He said, I will hand your enemy over to you so you can do to him whatever you desire. Remember that, David? Remember when God told you that he was going to do this? And look, out of the blue, sure enough, what are the odds this happens? And Saul is squatting there, you know, with his back turned to us, like this is, this is it. And so they remind David exactly what God had said to him, and reminded David exactly what God had told them was going to happen. And then they're also probably reminding David of God's promise to David that David was going to be the next king of Israel. And the only thing in David's way to fulfilling God's promise to him is squatting down with his back turned towards them. You know, in a vulnerable state. Everybody around, they know this. 
Everybody around recognizes this, like this time, like let's kill Saul, let's all go home, we've been waiting for this, like nobody else has to die, there doesn't have to be a huge battle where a bunch of us are going to die, and a bunch of Saul's men are going to die, only one man has to go. Besides David, Saul is trying to kill you, and Saul is trying to kill your family, and so this is really protecting yourself and protecting your family, and this is like a kind of a, a battle situation, although not exactly how you would expect it to go with the situation that's going on right now. But they're like, you know, Saul is actively trying to hunt us down with his army. And, and everybody, you know, they're all talking about this. Everybody's amazed at what God has done. And even David recognizes this. And so David creeps forward. But one thing I just want to point out is that David doesn't actually know what the outcome will be if he kills Saul. He doesn't know. He thinks he does. The men, they think they do. I mean, for them, it's super simple. Kill the king, right? Become the king. Like, that's it. That's, that's all it is. Kill the king, become the king. But they don't know for sure how this is all going to play out. Just like, by the way, we don't know the outcome of our decisions before we make our decisions. I mean, we may think we do. We may think we got a pretty good idea, but we don't know for sure. In fact, I think we can all agree that most of our bad decisions, when we look back on those bad decisions, most of our bad decisions are because we wrongly predicted the outcome of them. Right? I mean, isn't that what happens? We thought the decision we made would bring about one set of circumstances, but it actually brought about another set of circumstances. Maybe it's a set of circumstances that we didn't even think about. Like, they didn't even cross our mind that that could happen. And so David... As he's moving forward, he feels the tension, and it starts bothering him. It's the same tension that many of us feel when we're making a big decision. We don't really know what to do, and we think we're doing it right, but we're not 100% sure. We're just kind of like, I don't know, like, sure seems like God wants me to do this, but something just doesn't feel right inside. And David's asking himself, he's, he's saying, hey, should I do this? Should I kill Saul? Should we finally go home? Should I protect my family in this way? It really seems like a no-brainer decision, and all of his men are just like, yeah, of course, this is what we do. But something's just not sitting right with David. Something is not sitting well. It just doesn't feel right. And as David gets closer, the tension increases. And somewhere between the back of the cave and King Saul, squatting King Saul, he starts to think about what he's doing. And it starts bothering him. And what we find out from the Bible is that we, we, David, he tells us exactly what he was thinking. David starts questioning himself. He says, okay, as he's creeping along, he's got his knife out, he's getting ready to just to slit his throat. He starts asking himself, he's like, well, who made Saul king? Well, God did. He starts asking, well, then who am I to undo what God has done? And so David gets close to Saul, he gets right up to Saul, and he takes out his knife, and then he does something that many of us don't have the self-control to do. He changed course. In verse 4, it says, Then David got up, and he secretly cut off the corner of Saul's robe. And when he does this, David, he sneaks back to the back of the cave to his men, who are all like, uh, you missed, you know, like, Bro, what's going on here? Uh, they're all watching. It says afterwards, David's conscious. He's, he sneaks back to the back of the cave. All the men are just like, what are you doing? 
Like, this is our chance. God has literally given him to you. And even then, we see David's conscience bothered him, right? It didn't just bother him when he was sneaking up, getting ready to, to slit his throat. No, it bothers him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Like, even that is, he's like, oh, no, what have I done? Like, I shouldn't have cut the, his robe. Like, that's the king's robe. Like, that's messed up. And he said to his men, he's like, no, 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 no. we're not doing this today. Like, this is not how it's going to go down. As the Lord is my witness, he says, I would never do such a thing to my Lord. He's talking about King Saul. I would never do this to my king, the Lord's anointed. I will never lift my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. He said, hey, God made Saul king. Who am I to take it away? I know God's, gonna, I know God's promise that it's going to be taken away, but I don't want to be the one to do it. Who am I to do this? It says, with these words, David persuaded his men, all right, as they're listening to him, and they're just like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, some of the guys are just like, all right, well, if you're not man enough, and you're too much of a coward, David, to do this, I'm going to go do this to protect my family. I'm going to take care of this. And David did not let them rise up against Saul. He holds them back. And then what happens? Saul left the cave. He's finished, and he went on his way. Opportunity gone. Opportunity just over. And so Saul and his army, they start going on their way, and just a few minutes later, they hear a voice, and someone says, hey, my Lord King. And 3,000 heads turn back to the entrance of the cave. The cave, by the way, that Saul had just walked out of, and sure enough, there is the very man that they have been hunting and trying to kill for so long, holding a piece of cloth. And Saul knows exactly what that cloth is from. And he turns around and he looks and he's like, dang it. You know, he's like, okay, he cut that off my robe. And Saul immediately recognizes, actually every man there that day knew who the better man was. And so Saul, because of this, because David spared his life, Saul turned his army around and he went back home. And so that day, David doesn't become king. God doesn't fulfill his promise to David that day, just like he hadn't for the last decade or so that David's been waiting, and David doesn't become king. But just a few months later, the seven chapters later, Saul and his army, they're fighting the foreign nation, the Philistines, which we had already looked at. And uh, a the Bible tells us that a random arrow from a random archer is just shooting it at the Israelite army, hoping to hit something happens to hit Saul in a crack between his, just in the, in the sliver between his armor and kills Saul. And David then gets crowned king. <clears throat> and it's interesting because that's just a few months later. You know this went through David's mind, right? Where he was just, as all these events take place and David's crowned king, you know David's probably like, man. Right, this, by the way, is like how I feel many of us have felt times, uh, felt as, as time has progressed after a decision has been made for us. It's just like, man, why didn't God just tell me? Like, man, if, if God would have just told me that just a few months later that, he was gonna, that everything was going to end up like this, that some random arrow from some random archer would just randomly hit Saul in the, in the crease of his armor. Like, if God would have told me that, man, that would have made the decision making in that cave a few months ago, seven chapters before, so much easier for me. But God doesn't tell him. He doesn't show up in that cave as David's creeping up with his knife saying, whoa, whoa, hey, whoa, hey, take it easy there. Put that thing away. All right, God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, hey, you need to relax. I got this. I got this taken care of. 
don't worry, um, I'll take care of Saul. I got a, a random archer I'm waiting to, been waiting to use. Uh, he's going to take care of He doesn't tell him any of that. Just like God doesn't tell us what's going to happen in our immediate future. But it's okay. The tension that David felt that day saved him from making an unwise decision. Even with all the pressure from his buddies, even with the logic going on in his head, even when it's like, well, this is so obvious, this has to be from God, even with all of his friends' lives at stake, even with his family's lives at stake. But often we ignore the tension, right? There's like a little voice in our mind, I don't know just how it is, where for us, we're just like, act now, decide fast. Like, that's just how we make decisions. By the way, that sets us up for some bad decision making. Like, it just, it just does. And so for us, as we're walking through life, trying to figure out what we should do, which way we should go, what road we should take, we don't have to make some weird deal with God. We don't have to go to the magic eight ball and go, okay, you know, should I take this job? All right. It says yes, so let's do it. Like, we don't have to do any of that. When we're faced with a big decision, what we should be doing is running it through the grid. All right? First question, what does God say about it? And if God says something about it, decision made. In theory, it should be. Whether we follow it, that's a different thing. And then if God doesn't say anything about it, then the question is, well, do we feel tension? Is there something about it that just bothers us? Is there something that, I don't know, just like doesn't feel right, like some gut feeling? It's that tension that we all hate. It's the tension that makes us second-guess our decisions or second-guess the way that we're leaning. And if we do, that's good. We pause. Let it bother you. Be okay with that. If you do this, you'll make better decisions and you'll have fewer regrets. <coughs> Next week, we will um, talk about the third point or the third question that we need to ask within the grid. And so make sure you're back here next week. But um, just remember, as we go through life, we got to figure out decisions. We got to make those hard decisions, those complicated ones. God has given us the freedom to make decisions that He hasn't, that aren't right or wrong. Not a moral thing. But we should pay attention to the tension in our hearts. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. And God, we thank you for giving us the freedom to make our own decisions on, on so many things. You allow us to decide for ourselves, and you want us to. God, we ask that you would help us as we make decisions in our life. Number one, to have confidence that, hey, I have the freedom to do this. God has given me, you, Lord, have given us the freedom to make these decisions. God, help us to run our decision-making through the grid, first looking towards you, 100%, no matter what. Number one, what do you have to say about it? And when we find out that whatever decision we're making, you do have something to say about it, Lord, help us to have enough strength and help us to have enough trust to obey you. And Lord, when it gets past that, help us to pay attention to the tension that maybe you've given us, maybe that's just us, we don't necessarily know all the time, but Lord, help us just to, to pause. Take a second. Let it bother us. Help us to make better decisions as Christians, Lord, as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.